1: Find
0: a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile
0: banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Four seconds is the time that it takes for F1 cars to accelerate to 100 miles an hour and get back to zero again.
0: I think the only other way I could do that is jumping out of an airplane and hitting the ground. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> And also let's let's appreciate the fact that we're talking with an American here who actually values truth and numbers and the facts. That is frankly refreshing. So I applaud him. It's lights out of-
1: Welcome along to the Cut to the Race podcast. It is a non-race week. Ah, oh, I've actually been sort of looking forward to a non-race week so we can talk about other things. Um, on the show today, we have Matt Womack.
0: Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us again. And yeah, we miss racing, but we got too much more to dive into. Let's get into it.
1: We have
3: Callum. Hello, everyone. I'm Callum, as you all know. And uh, I'm here to talk about all things... Non race week, let's go.
1: And uh, we have Will back. He's joined us in a suit today, which is um, it threw us all when we loaded up the cameras. We like, Ah, oh, yeah. He's dressed up for us.
2: How are you, Will? Yes, well, I'm very well, thank you. It's good to uh, it's good to be back here with you guys talking uh, all things F1 um, uh, on on Remembrance Sunday as well. Um, and uh, and it's 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 a, it's a really I've got yeah. It's been a great day remembering those who gave so much to us, uh, and also getting to talk about. Um, one of the freedoms that we enjoy because of it, which is the wonderful sport of Formula One.
1: Talking about clothing, I, I think we should all wear our new Nerds Christmas jumpers on the next show if they're ready in time.
0: As the Christmas Grinch, I believe, of this group, the F- Formula Nerds Christmas jumper is going to be the epitome of my Christmas tradition this year. That's it. That's that's just it. <laughs> that's it. No trees, <laughs> no lights, just <laughs> Oh, my the God. Oh, well, mate. I, c- I can't wait to get mine on
3: i'm so excited i'm gonna wear it every day of december it's not gonna even get washed i'm just gonna wear it all.
1: <laughs> my current nerd said he doesn't get washed so i'm gonna have another one now so i can rotate and um, well, how did we get how did we come up with that idea matt we you said something yesterday that just i don't think you meant to, to say anything about making a nerds christmas jumper did you but it set me off on something
0: i believe that's a good summation of my life just accidental genius uh <laughs> anything i do without a script or a plan seems to do well and if i try and think about it too much there's gnashing of teeth and the smell of sulfur in the air and you just ran with it and it's awesome
1: well, i'm just i'm just looking back for it here um what did you say oh yeah we so we were designing some some of our new t-shirts which i think they're actually up now um we'll double check in a moment we were sharing the designs of them and matt you typed i looked over at hayley his partner and was like it's christmas coming you know and i was like Oh, genius idea. Christmas jumpers. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, my accident on Muse strikes again. <laughs> Cal, you've, you've got some new designs up, don't you?
3: I do. We have decided to go for Silverstone, Spa, Monza. All of the silhouettes of the tracks with the flag colours. They look incredible. I can't wait for you all to get them. They are going to look insane. I am personally going to buy one of each. I can't wait for these to go out. They're so good.
1: When you said you were doing it, right? I'd already had a go at designing this. If um, Matt and um, Will, if you go up in the in the merch chat and you have a look, my attempts were just horrific. So when Cal said he was doing it, I was like, oh, been there, done that, mate. I'll, I'll see you at the finish line. Mine were horrific compared to Cal's. I mean, Cal took it up a level. I really, really want one of these. Matt, what, which one are you going to get though? Because you're well, you're a Ferrari fan, so it would be
0: Monza, wouldn't it? It has to be Monza, but I have to get one of all of them, and I want them as wall art somewhere to install on in my home they came out incredible it's simple it's beautiful and cow killed it i mean i think he's actually missed his calling as a fashion designer instead he's down here in the muck with us talking racing cars when he should be working for tommy hilfiger because he blitzed it <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be fair the, the spa one i think is is my personal
3: favorite that looks fantastic uh, with the red yellow and uh black it's going to look fantastic on a grey T-shirt or a white T-shirt.
2: It's really interesting as well. I mean, just on that subject, I don't really check the store as often as I should, but the, the, just the quantity of like really fun stuff that is available is, is really surprising, considering that we're not even like a massive company like you know lots of other people that you see online who've got merch. And I would argue ours is more tasteful, better designed, and just at a fairer price than most of them, to be frank.
0: <laughs> well i didn't know you could be bothered with t-shirts since you're showing up in suits every week oh
2: no this is if this is going to be a constant thing i'm just going to turn up next week in a in a in a i don't know something horrific like a mankini or some awful vest i don't care this is this cannot persist is
0: a velour suit and mc hammer pants next week coming to will <laughs> I've only ever seen you wear um,
1: a McLaren top, actually, Will, in the entire time we've known each other. So this is, I feel like I've met a new Will today. This is professional Will. Normally it's just um, piss head, you know, bottles of uh, whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Today we've got got actual
2: Will. So, oh, mate, this is brilliant. This is dreadful. If any of my future employers are listening to this, please disregard everything (laughs) that this man has said about my character and work ethic.
1: Actually, talking about your work ethic. So, Will, you are the video creator for the Formula Nerds. Tell us what you've got coming up this week, Will, because
2: there's an exciting yes, one. Should have nailed up yes. Uh, so, so this week we're doing a. Um, it's it's a short video. It's something I, I I can kind of imagine people watching as they kind of idly scroll through their feeds. Um, and something I hope will give people a bit more of an insight. It's the top five things uh, that new F1 fans should know. Now, uh, if you've been with the nerds for a while, you'll have seen possibly my first ever video um, uh, that I think the nerds might have shared or possibly not, which was uh, where I discussed uh, uh, j- before I even knew who any of you were why I loved Formula One as a as a relatively new fan why it appealed to me. So this video kind of takes some of those elements um, uh, and also some new ones that I th- that I thought were kind of important and essentially uh, talks to any new fan about why this sport is good, not necessarily. Um, the, the intricacies of it but things that they might need to know if they're going to watch a race so um, it's, uh, it's a slightly light-hearted take on it I admit are not they're not all kind of uh, what I would call intellectual points some of them are very very subjective um, but hopefully if people like it and they like the format we'll be able to do a few more
1: so if you want to see this video it's going to be coming out Tuesday check out all of our different social media feeds wherever you get your Formula Nerd action it will be on there well, you've, you've given me an idea, and I had it last night, which I've completely forgotten to develop much further. But we, we, we are really nerdy when it comes to F1. And the average person, let's take my fiance, for example, she's forced to intake F1 news. It's always on, etc. I don't shut up about it. However, she said to me the other day, what's DRS? And that made me think, our listeners might not even understand what we're talking about sometimes. So I had a bit of an idea. I'm going to try this, and if it works, we'll um, we'll give it a go in, in another, on another episode. Matt, can you please yes. explain for me what it means when a driver says, I'm in
0: dirty air? So the simple solution and answer for that is cars are falling behind, and they create a wake with the Active Aero packages. Dirty air is obviously the opposite of clean air. Clean air is undisturbed, densely packed molecules that go over the wings and the barge boards and the floors to create and maximize the effect of downforce. Dirty air behind a car, that wake is now disturbed. If you imagine it swimming through water, whenever you make your strokes, you make ripples and it actually disturbs the water. The car behind will be feeling the effects of the car ahead's aero packages and they don't have as dense an air. Uh, There's not as many... It's not as much of an effect on the car, I guess you could say, with the aero packages. So they may not have the maximum downforce. Uh, It's especially difficult given how much downforce the current cars are producing. Uh, We always talk about in the old days, they could follow closer. The aero packages weren't as developed. And modern cars direct the air down and then out at the rear of the car. Uh, With the redesign of 2022, they're reducing the effects on where they direct the air to allow there to be denser, Pack air molecules to flow over the leading edges of all those packages. So dirty air is basically we don't have enough Water in that swimming analogy to go through to maximize our aero packages it disturbs the cars makes them unstable and you can't follow closely because you'll overheat and you won't have the effects of downforce to keep you on the road that took a lot longer than i thought it was going to you've
1: just killed two of my follow-up questions there which were what is clean air and what does what do drivers mean when they say they can't follow because that is literally the definition of f1 which is following each other around the track so thanks
2: that's great. I, I ge- honestly, I genuinely never knew that. I mean, I kind of had a, a, a vague assumption, vague being the optimal word there, but never knew that. And it makes so much more sense, actually, in hindsight, because this is an argument that I made in my, uh, my Lewis Hamilton video that you can watch uh, on our YouTube channel and the <laughs> website, <laughs> um, where I, I discussed how there is a, a whole fan base of older fans who kind of bemoan the lack of excitement and, and, and tail-to-tail action that F1 used to create. And I totally forgotten that. So now I need to re-edit the whole video. No, uh, but yeah, it's a, another argument to use against the old fogies.
1: Kellum, drivers talk a lot about tires. Oh, my tires are dead. Oh, I need new tires. Oh, I have um I've flat spotted my tires. And softs, hards, mediums, ultra softs, super softs. Can you just give us a very basic, basic overview on F1 tires?
3: Okay, so so basically we have two sets of tires in Formula One. We have wet tires and dry tires. The wet tires are obviously for when it's raining. Now we have two sets of wet tire, the intermediate and the full wet. Um, The full wet and intermediate basically have grooves in them and this disperses water from the track and it actually helps dry out the track. So the full wet tires are actually the most effective solution for heavy rain. These tires can evacuate 85 liters of water per second per tyre at 300 kilometres an hour. Now, moving on to the dry tyres, they are slick tyres, meaning there is no grooves like you'd see on a road tyre. They are just one surface of rubber. This obviously makes more grip. There's more surface of the tyre on the road, meaning they can go faster and grip more. And this season, they have the soft, the medium, and the hard compound tyres. Now, the soft tyre is classed as the faster tyre, if you like, um, it's supposed to be grippier usually qualifying is done on these tires it gives them more grip um, because the compound is softer the median tire is an in-between tire which gives you a little bit more longevity but the hard tire is the one that gives you the longevity so you'll see sometimes if a car pits on lap one under safety car they'll whack on the hard tire try and go uh, the full length of the race on that tire now temperatures can affect the tires as well you'll see them weaving around at the start of the race doing their formation lap this is to get temperature into the tire without that temperature they are not grippy at all The pirelli who designed the tires give the, the team certain parameters for temperature and longevity for each track as well by the way they, they operate differently on each track um and they work it out this is why there's so much strategy and data going into f1
1: I've got to ask, right? I didn't prepare you for that. I didn't say that I was going to ask you that question, and it sounded unbelievably scripted. I mean, do you know all of this? Uh, Yeah, I just remembered it. I have watched
3: F1 for a very long time, um, and I'm a bit of a nerd, hence why I'm part of
0: the Formula Nerds. This is is why I'm here. Earning His Keep by Callum Lomax. Love it.
1: Do you guys want some quick-fire F1 facts? Go for it. Of course we do. I want to know if you knew these or not already, okay? Four seconds is the time that it takes for F1 cars to accelerate to 100 miles an hour and get back to zero again. So they go all the way up to 100 and back to zero in four seconds.
2: I confess I did not know that. That is quite incredible.
0: I think the only other way I could do that is jumping out of an airplane and hitting the ground.
2: (laughs) 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 That's brilliant
3: (laughs) i mean if you compare that to a road car your average car for example i drive a Vauxhall astra
1: i wouldn't have i wouldn't have admitted that on this podcast
3: i know i'm (laughs) deeply ashamed but if i got it'd probably take me about 20 seconds to get up to 100 miles an hour and then probably another five seconds to actually get back to zero i mean most of your supercars do well to get to 60 in around three seconds so a formula one car is getting to 100 and stopping again within four seconds that is that is the difference we're talking here that is insane
1: so a mclaren p1 let's just pick that as an example that takes 2.6 seconds to get all the way to 60 right not even 100 so we're talking all the way up to 100 and back down again which is pretty pretty awesome um my next one is do you know how many times a driver will change gear on average, per race. Now, you can give me a, a round number here. Matt, I'm going to say you go first. Callum, you have a stab at it. And then, Will, you, you, you go last, okay? Who's going to get closest?
0: I'm going to guess right at 3,000 to 4,000. Okay, Callum? I'm going to say 7,000.
1: hmm William?
2: I would have said around about 12,000.
1: Okay, well, I mean, this is quite it, obviously it depends on the track and the, the the race distance. But on average, you're looking at between two and a half and five thousand times an F1 driver will change gear per lap. So I would say that one goes to Matt pretty pretty easily.
2: Um, okay, I've really overdone things there, haven't I?
0: <laughs> I cheated because I remember it in the broadcast, I believe it was from Monza, the average track has fifty to sixty. Gear changes. I don't remember the number of laps, but I'm guessing around 60. So I just did some quick maths on that and it paid off. Thank you, elementary math. I don't like you anymore, Matt.
1: There's a reason that in Matt fairness. is in charge of our business side of things, and he, he, he looks after the nerd's finances and the, the things that we aren't good at. There's a reason that you're in that, that role, Matt.
2: And, and also, let's, let's appreciate the fact that we're talking with an American here who actually values truth and numbers and the facts. <laughs> that is frankly refreshing. So I applaud him.
0: Oh, American man. Election Digs by Will Matlin. Incredible. <laughs>
3: uh we're, we're going to court guys we're going to court we're going to win this election still
2: <laughs> this is uh this is a huge uh moment for us as a country uh you get to fling uh a, a criminal out of uh public office uh, that's me uh the best i've got the best words uh, the best we have
0: uh, we have the best numbers our numbers are incredible you know we're winning state, <laughs> mr trump you lost the election uh, doesn't uh, matter we're gonna getting okay. a recount because i don't believe your reality
2: and I'll talk to uh, Vladimir, <laughs> my friend Vladimir in Russia. He's a great man, great man, great man, great team. I uh, sort sorry of for us, uh, the Russians. It's all good.
1: It's, it's currently Sunday, 4pm. Uh, Has Donald Trump actually got off the golf course yet? Does anyone know?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh The man who... In fairness, in fairness, people criticise him for spending his time on the golf course. Thank God he does, because imagine if he spent all that time in office making more bad decisions. Play as much golf as you like, Mr. <laughs> Trump. You carry on.
0: <laughs> what if he actually did his job as a president and worked? I, I knew I knew we were going to get onto this subject. I just didn't know
1: how soon it was going to happen. But there we go. <laughs> right. Your last fact, because um, we've transitioned. The last fact I'm going to give you is if an F1 driver takes his foot off the accelerator, so stops accelerating, the force is equivalent to a normal road car hitting a brick wall. Jesus.
2: What? So even though he's still moving?
0: Yes. Yeah. It's called oh engine my. braking, and that's just the natural deceleration induced by the engine, if I remember correctly. If I'm wrong, you know, listeners, roast me. Whenever I take the foot off the accelerator pedal, basically it retards the timing and closes some of the airflow through there, and the normal deceleration of the engine's crankshaft slowing down. I believe at one point I want to say it was the equivalent of like a Volkswagen Golf. Hitting, I think that's the same quote you were talking about, Ollie. hitting yeah. a brick wall. A regular family car. We'll go with the Golf. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, then on top of that, you have the actual braking systems themselves, which suddenly Kevin Magnuson's headache makes a little bit more sense for our listeners. Everybody yeah. talks about the speed and the cornering. The braking is what truly separates the Formula One modern cars from anything else in the world because they have to strengthen their necks to withstand the G-forces.
2: Formula One's longest necks with me. <laughs> Uh, Adrian Childs, oh, I don't know. <laughs> David, back, David Coulthard, surely. <laughs> David yes, DC, yes. always. <laughs> oh, the man, what a legend.
1: <laughs> what I want to just educate people on, lastly, is what these guys get paid to drive round a track. Okay. So, and they, these are estimated based on um, essentially F1 drivers' contracts cannot be revealed, but they are held in um, a recognition board in Geneva. Uh, only lawyers can view them. But these are the best estimates that we have based on all the different data sources, the internet, and made into an average. So George Russell is the lowest paid. Uh, sorry, actually, Nicholas Latifi, we don't know what his is. It's undisclosed anywhere. George Russell is the,
0: the, the lowest paid. What does he earn, considering he's one of 20 on Earth? Are we going in British pounds or American dollars? What figure we're, do you have that in?
1: We're going in British pounds because we are a UK-produced podcast within America. <laughs>
0: Okay, uh, I'm going to <laughs> guess just... So remember, the pound, no is, the pound is better than
2: the dollar, just in case you've forgotten. <laughs> it is in, fi-
0: in finances. in On the scale, not so much. I'm going to guess around 300000 to £400,000. Okay. Callum, do you know?
3: I'm going to say around about £150,000. I know it's in the low end.
1: Yeah, so George Russell at the bottom of the table gets £180,000 a year. Now, in my opinion that's not a lot
2: yeah but oh. in fairness that is that isn't i mean even though i know that's not a lot for formula one it's still a very very good salary i mean you know managing directors of some of the uk's largest companies are not even paid that much so that's that's you know you can't be too unhappy with that like no, say, but.
1: No, and i suppose you get to travel the world you get to drive fast cars anyway cool let's go Let's go with people we we, we we love and care about. Kimi Raikkonen. This year, what did he? What was his contract value?
3: I'm going to uh, spitball that one at
0: one million pounds. Okay. I'm going to uh, the Prices Right, calm and say 1.1 million pounds.
2: Ooh, that's close. I believe it was. I believe it was 13 million pounds. Wow.
0: No. Oh, <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> you are wrong. I was so scared.
1: 3.5 million for this year. Oh, okay. Um, okay, well, I'm not going to go through them all, but who's number one and two in the championship? Let, let's go for those two, right? So we've got Lewis Hamilton, and Valtteri Bottas is in second, isn't he? So Lewis Hamilton, I think everyone knows how much he earns. Um, do you, Matt?
0: You don't look like you do. I don't, and I want to, for some reason, the number 40 million is popping in my head, but that surely that can't be right. That's, that's smack on, bang on. Okay,
1: now that's the best driver, six-time world champion, first in the championship. Okay, second in the championship, also from Mercedes. What is Bottas paid?
3: Thirteen point five. I'm gonna go.
1: Damn you, Callum. Lower.
0: I <laughs> will tell you, it's lower. It's lower. Yeah. Wow. He's paid less. He's paid
2: less than half. Oh my days.
0: Yep. That's less than a third. I'm gonna let's just hit ten mil.
2: Yeah. Lower.
0: I would, is it wow. seven mil?
1: It is seven mil, yeah. That's, Jesus. Wow. That's
2: ridiculous. For the, and also for the job that he's doing, managing to stop the other competitors, like putting the <laughs> pressure on Hamilton. That's ridiculous.
1: Okay, we're going to take a break. Um, we'll be back on the other side and we're going to talk Red Bull in depth. Hello, all. That was quick. Normally it takes about 10 minutes to get everyone back. Matt's gone to the loo. Imagine, Matt literally just walked off as I said that. Just also noting, guys, that these salary estimates that we've just discussed, right? They exclude any income from bonuses, sponsors, or any, any anything else. Essentially, this is their contract salary. So
2: That's this incredible. is this is before like um, IWC Schaffhausen, uh, the watch company, or. Uh, who else did he Tommy do? Tommy uh, bigger. We, we're going to put a post on our
1: page of the value of Lewis Hamilton's race suit. So the suit that he wears is in the region of worth £120 million because of the sponsors on it. So, yeah, we'll get that on the on the, on our Facebook page next week, which is facebook.com forward slash the
2: Nerds. I know that Max, Verst- Max Verstappen must be taking him a tidy profit because he's got a sponsorship with uh, G-Star Raw Yes. And, uh, and also, I also think he's got a sponsorship with Yumbo, uh, who are like a, a, a Dutch version of Walmart, but a bit nicer. Mm-hmm. We had some great content this
1: week on our Facebook
2: group and, and some really
1: interesting conversations. Cal, do you just want to run us through some of the, the, the things that went on on Facebook this week and some of the numbers as well? They're insane.
3: Okay, yeah. So Facebook has popped off this week. It has been insane. I don't, I don't even know why. I don't even know what I've done differently. I'm not going to take any credit for it. Um, but basically, we put out a few posts and one of the, the ones that has done particularly well was a um, Ayrton Senna versus Alain Prost, sort of a vote for who you think was better kind of deal. That has actually reached 426,000 people and 18,000 people have reacted to it. My favourite was Senna, I've got to be honest, um, purely because of his driving in the wet. I'm going to go for that, is driving skill in the wet. That is what has trumped him for me over Prost.
1: Matt, why are you pulling a funny face?
0: I am going to draw so much hatred for this. Uh, In the early years of my Formula 1 fanship, I guess I almost loathed Elaine Prost, the professor. Uh, But the way I celebrate Charles Leclerc as Mr. Consistency, Elaine Prost does not mess up. If you make the smallest mistake on your line, the man's there. Aaron Sinna, a legend. Uh, one of the all-time greats, but Elaine Prost was a silent killer. He knew the political game very well. He forged all of his relationships with the teams and development very well. It, it's been a very, very slow transition to me into Team Elaine uh, within the last probably year or two years, honestly, learning more about it. Uh, so I'm in Camp Prost.
1: Okay, okay.
0: Center's driving skill. Mm -hmm. predominantly in the wet like i say he
3: could that lap at lap of the gods at donington that is 93 that that is just insane i wasn't even born then and i watched that and i get excited that's how good
1: that was i think i think you're right if you're talking special moments uh, really memorable things really Mm remember really memorable things rather um it's got to be will you're a self-confessed newer f1 fan right You're, you're quite open about that yeah
2: this is true yeah so I've actually, uh, funnily enough, I, I've known about Senna um, for a lot longer than I've known about F1 in, in general. So I remember watching uh, the Top Gear tribute that they did. It was a very short film. And then I saw the Senna film. I got given that when I was about 14 years old, maybe 15. can't remember when it came out. I didn't know much. And I thought, I really thought I wasn't going to enjoy it because I thought, oh gosh, this I'm not into racing at all. This is really boring. It's one of my favorite films. And funnily enough, I... Uh, Last year, I worked on a short film here in the UK with the wife of the man who directed uh, that film, um, a lady called Victoria, uh, who was really lovely and we made a good film. Um, and uh, and uh, I had a, chat, a very brief chat to her about what her husband did and how it was and just sounded like a really, really interesting film to make. And uh, yeah, cemented, genuinely cemented him in my mind. Um, but then again, I don't know much about Prost. So there's, there's no reason to say I might not change my views in the future.
0: You know, a lot of people know Senna because of the prestige, the myth, lifestyle, everything. He was a national treasure in Brazil. Alain Prost is celebrated just as much in France and is still doing amazing things with the Renault team. Uh, what really got me is, you know, Senna has the moments. Senna has, you know, the lap of the gods in Donnington in his racecraft. Elaine Pross, I equate very similarly to Nicky Lauda. Uh, he's very opinionated, and he's the sneaky professional killer on track.
1: This is on our Facebook group. If you sorry, our Facebook page. If you want to join the discussion, but Cal, what were they? Um, what what were the results? How many people voted on who? I mean, I I think I know how this is going to go.
3: First of all, Ollie, we haven't got your your vote yet. So
1: I snuck it in there. Mm-hmm. It's Senna for me.
3: Senna, yep. for you. Okay. Yep. I'm not going to lie, it's it's a landslide victory for Ayrton Senna. Out of the 18,000, Ayrton Senna got 16.7. Oh. And Alan Prost got 1.3. And I must admit, I thought it'd be a lot closer. I am disappointed that it is so far ahead for Senna. But I think the, the, the thing that's made it so much of a landslide for Senna is the fact that his name is known outside of F1. Mm-hmm. McLaren named a car after him last year, or the year before, I can't remember. But he is a household name when it comes to motorsport, not just F1, when it comes to motorsport. So Alan Pross was never going to win that vote based on that alone. Uh, I think that needs to be said.
2: I'm sure if we have a recount, though, that we'll find out that really it was Pross.
1: <laughs> okay, Cal, what were the other two? Uh, let's not go into depth on it, but what, what were the other two that we had? And what were the, what were the sort of key results there?
3: So the next one that we did on Facebook this week was um, the best world champion between 2000 to 2010. Obviously, I didn't do this decade because it's been utterly dominated by Lewis Hamilton, so that was pointless. Um, But we obviously, we've got Lewis Hamilton, Michael Schumacher, Sebastian Vettel, Fernando Alonso, Jenson Button and Kimi Raikkonen. So there were six world champions between 2000 and 2010. Now, obviously, again, we put it to a vote. And it was pretty close. Schumacher just pipped by, I mean, less than 10 votes. He just pipped Lewis Hamilton. And then after that, believe it or not, and I, I wouldn't have put this guy up there, Kimi Raikkonen was third.
1: Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What was the question again? So who was the best
3: world champion between 2000 and 2010?
1: Hmm. I think there are different ways that you can look at this question. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> there is.
3: And this is why I did it, because I thought this, this should be an interesting one for different reasons. Because for me, my most memorable world champion of that decade was Jensen Button and what he did with Braun. He was my favourite world champion. In my opinion, he was the best world champion of that decade I'd because agree. of what he managed in that car. Oh. But Schumacher got four world championships in that decade. Mm-hmm. All the others only got one. Yeah, so,
1: the best world champion.
3: This is what for me, I wanted to do it for debate. Let's, yeah, well, let's I, crack on. I, I even Cours said let's off, Ollie, Bring
1: it on. <laughs> for me, the most incredible championship I've watched, and again, I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan, but it was 2008. That was the most insane oh, showdown of a championship. When you think in Brazil, the last lap is that clock, and all of those moments. That was just an insane season. That that was the yeah, best, but like in,
2: words, in the words of. Oh, but In understand. the words of Jeremy Clarkson, though, when you look at other, you look at other championships, and there were some moments of brilliance. The championships that are really genuinely interesting and keep people watched are when they're interesting and amazing the whole season, and that's for me why Buttons. Uh, 2009 victory was just incredible. It was one of the most invigorating stories of a team that nobody expected to win. Nobody, nobody ever thought they would go on to be successful at all. Ross Braun pulled them out of the gutter from their humble beginnings. It was all self-made and Jensen Button comes along and absolutely storms to victory. I mean, frankly, you know, I I just personally find that a much more interesting emotional story, even Mm -hmm. though it might've been more exciting to see a final race in Brazil.
1: Okay, okay, I, but just remember, it was Ross Brawn, right? He, he's quite a man, isn't he? If, you know, if he he's a man you know, that if he puts his mind to
0: something, he's not going to just flop at it.
2: You make a fair point. That is true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not to be the hipster F one fan, you know, Jensen Button was the last time it wasn't one of the marquee teams winning the championship. You know, in the time Brawn was kind of the modern wild card coming in with Jensen Button, he he was not supposed to win that year. I mean. Before that year, it was Lewis Hamilton with McLaren. Then you had Ferrari with Kimi Raikkonen. You had back to back for Fernando Alonso at Renault. You know, it was the dark horse candidate, and it was just like a a David versus Goliath undertaking for Jensen Button to win that. Did, uh, did
1: they
2: even have a sponsor on that car for that season?
0: They had Virgin. Uh, Richard Branson
2: sponsored them. That's but right. It was you would barely know. It was like a, a single logo, I think, on the on the on the on the rear section, rear half of the car. But yeah, very 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 little money coming in at all.
1: And how many seasons were they in F1? As Braun? Just the
2: one. Just the one season. One season.
3: League. I think one season. One season wonders.
2: Wow. Okay, I can, cool. I can feel Ollie's passive aggressive defence of Lewis, even from Manchester. It's incredible. <laughs> I mean, fair play.
1: I was going to say, join the discussion because it's an interesting one. It's on our Facebook. Um... Join the
2: discussion because everybody else here is wrong. Yes.
1: No, do, do you know what? <laughs> I, I like different opinions to my own. I do. That's why I'm an open-minded person. Um, so you've all disagreed with me and all, all ganged up on me. Thank you. Cheers.
2: That's Charles. it. We're out of the companies. <laughs>
1: Charles, nice knowing
3: you. <laughs> yes. A third one we put up this week for votes was who wins the race for third in the Constructors' Championship? So we have Renault, McLaren and Racing Points. Renault are on 135 points, McLaren 134 points, and Racing Point, a hundred and thirty-four points. Oof. Now, when we put it to the vote, the fans went for Renault. Mm, I agree. Then McLaren. Then Racing Point. Personally, I think Renault. At the start of the season, I would have I would have said McLaren, but R- Racing Danny Point surely Rick, at the
1: start, no.
3: No, based on the first race. I mean, not pre-season. Based on the first race, I would have said McLaren, um, but. Looking at it now, you're going to have to give Renault a good shout at this. Um, They've really turned it around in the last couple of races, haven't they? They've they've picked up vital amount of points to close that gap and overtake McLaren and Racing Point.
1: Yeah, Racing uh, Racing Point were they were almost guaranteed to be third at the the early stages of this season. We thought, right, didn't we? But Renault have just become a force. Um, they've just got consistently better, better, better. And now we're looking at da- two podiums for Danny Rick this season.
0: It's, I bet he's regretting uh, leaving, to be honest. I think Racing Point is learning the hard way that plagiarism and copying somebody else's work with nowhere to go because they have no fun- fundamental understanding of the car that they copied. Development will always trump copy-paste on the drawing board. So at the beginning of the year, we were all talking about, you know, the pink Mercedes and all that and how it's the car that won the world championship last year. Surely it's going to be the one to contend with. And Mercedes went, <laughs> watch this. Meanwhile, Renault have, and McLaren both have developed these cars. It's more a homogamous development throughout the year. You know, the fan favorites, I think for team drivers is obviously McLaren and they have had great moments throughout, but Renault, you know, by the time this is over, Cyril Abitable may look like a little bit of a a rapper with all the tattoos that Daniel Ricciardo will be throwing on him you might as well (laughs) 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 he's gonna be full post Malone isn't he by Uh, the end of the season (laughs) that was
2: that was nervous laughter if ever I heard (laughs) Sam no joke
1: on our Facebook group for this podcast. It's called Cut to the Race Podcast. It's a small group of people that listen to this show. We wanted it to be small. We didn't want it to be thousands of people so that we can have an intimate conversation with our listeners. Now, we ran a quick vote on... uh, It's all votes this week, isn't it? We ran a poll on what... They what our listeners wanted to hear, so thank you to all the people that um, let us know. But the resounding winner was, for a deep depth sort of look at the Red Bull team, because it's not just, is Albon good enough? That, there's more to this conversation about the way that Red Bull operates, the history of the team, and, you know, or is is this even fair on Albon that everyone's given him such a hard time? There have been number two drivers at Red Bull in the past that haven't done well either. And um, I'm gonna hand it over to Will, just to give us a bit of a history of
2: Red Bull. Red Bull have one of the most interesting histories Uh, of any team Um, as people may or may not know the company itself are an energy drinks manufacturer Um, and uh, from the outset they've been known as a very rebellious type of brand. Uh, For example in 1987 uh, the company were uh, about to start selling their energy drinks in Germany and the government in Germany banned it uh, for reasons best known to themselves so that helped establish them as a kind of you know rebel rousing uh, sort of um, uh, maverick brand and this is why F1 I think suits them just down to the ground. So now the team themselves, um, let's begin uh, with who they actually are created out of. Um, their story began uh, uh, as the, the Stuart's grand prix out, outfit uh, uh that made up uh, the sort of mediocre not not too bad a team in 1997 run by the uh highly esteemed sir jackie stewart um however the team weren't doing brilliantly and so they sold themselves to ford in 1999 um who knew that they wouldn't necessarily be able to run themselves as an f1 team in the european market so they branded their ford f1 team as jaguar um Unfortunately, this brought little to no meaningful success at all. Jaguar were running consistently at the back of the grid. Um, and so um, in 2004, Red Bull bought Jaguar for a symbolic one dollar now that obviously doesn't sound like a lot in fact i reckon i could probably afford that but this was under very very strict uh, agreement that they were going to invest 400 million dollars into this f1 team over the next three years now 400 million dollars today might not sound like a vast amount but back then in in, in the early 2000s that was a lot of money to, con- to contribute for three years um and it showed a serious sign of uh, of, of, of competitive spirit from uh, from red bull um so in 2005 everyone's got a flip phone things are going crazy in the world and Red Bull decide to launch their F1 team uh, the first really genius decision they make is by employing Christian Horner as their team principal, the man who still leads the helm uh, over at the Raging Bulls to this day. Um, this might sound a bit odd. You know, they're, they're coming in, it's the first year, and they've made such a good decision. Well, they weren't that inexperienced. Since 1995, Red Bull had been sponsoring Salba, So they knew how the world of F1 worked. They had a pretty good idea of the, the way that business was done there. Um, and I'm sure that Horner had been on their radar for a long time. So they began their campaign for points with a, a little-known driver called David Coulthard, uh, a very, very insatiable Scot with a serious appetite for driving um, and, and and some serious skill. Let's not let's not deny him his 13 F1 GP wins. Um, he was a very experienced driver, as I've said, and he knew the intricacies of these fast and very unstable cars. Um, and this is arguably what helped their team to really make big developments and forward motions uh, in that early year. Um, in fact, as he younger F1 fan, I personally associate David Coulthard as being as important a part of Red Bull's history, genuinely, as Sebastian Vettel or Max Verstappen. He didn't win as many titles, I won't won't deny, but his influence and presence at Red Bull and sort of clear-minded thinking uh, is clearly present right through to this day. And he still does do bits and pieces with the team uh, in a kind of publicity uh, capacity. So 2005 uh, was a great year for him because they also hired a little known man called Adrian Newey. Now, if you don't know very much about F1, you probably won't know who the hell I'm talking about, but Adrian Newey is like the Michael Jordan or the Kobe Bryant of. Aero and F1 car design. The man was an absolute genius. I'm, I think he'd worked uh, in a in a, uh, a an engineering civil engineering company and done done some work with Rolls Royce. So, so yeah, some 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 incredible work beforehand. Anyway, he came over to Red Bull and is I won't go on for too long, but he was essentially the man behind all four of Red Bull's championship winning cars. Cars that were so incredibly dominant that nobody thought that there could ever be anything better. And to mark that fact, he even released a book called How to Build uh, an F1 Car or something along those lines. You know, he yeah. dominated that entire aspect of the sport to such a degree that he could say that. Um, so what does the team's history look like from 2005? They've made good decisions at the beginning. How did they actually start racing? Well, uh, they didn't do brilliantly. They came seventh. Um, uh, in the championship in 2006, so not not terribly you know out of ten teams, it's not the bottom, but it wasn't brilliant in, in the uh, in the in the constructors. Um, in 2007, they uh, they switched up the driver lineup. They got got rid of I, I've forgotten his name temporarily, but the driver was Perng Coulthard, and they brought in Mark Webber, um, who managed to achieve a third. Uh, in 2007, uh, a podium place at the European GP, and Coulthard collected a handful of top five finishes um, in several races. Uh, so, quite a successful season. You know, it was only their their, their third proper season uh, uh, in F1, so you know they could be pretty chuffed with that. I would have said. Um, 2008 rather a disappointing season in comparison. Um, they didn't do so well, uh, and Coulthard also announced his retirement. Um, however. There was still good news because he was being replaced by Toro Rosso's standout talent, uh, uh, Sebastian Vettel, one German uh, uh, absolute force, just a a, a kind of force of nature, let's say. Um, So again, showing really, really good uh, management style by choosing somebody who they could see there was going to be a potential and wasn't just uh, good at that time, really, really good. Clever forward thinking. Um, so 2008 finishes and we start the 2009 season. Um, this, is, uh, this is for me one of Vettel's kind of uh, standout seasons because although he, uh, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't clinch a title, um, he did finish second uh, in, the, uh, in the Drivers' Championships. Uh, only 11 points behind Jensen Button, which is an incredible achievement. Um, for, uh, for for a young driver, uh, and the uh, and and the team also finished second overall in the constructors championships. So making in, in 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 the space of very very uh, very small amount of years, massive amounts of progress, um, and uh, is kind of indicative of uh, of how they've continued uh, throughout. 2010, they retained Mark Webber and Sebastian Vettel. Um, evidently, they were quite pleased with the uh, with the driver pairing. Um, there were not always uh, brilliant scenes between the two uh, i will briefly mention multi-21 uh, in a moment um but they were on the whole quite an amicable pair and worked well um so 2010 starts they're up against um some some, some pretty stiff competition um uh, hamilton uh, and and the ferrari team uh, also so that the sorry the mercedes and the ferrari team were offering some pretty pretty tough races to their raging bulls and were not making life easy for them um but having said that uh Sebastian Vettel and and Weber uh, still managed to uh, persevere um, to such a degree that Vettel wins that year's Drivers' Championship, which was uh, record-breaking because he was the youngest ever driver to win a a, a championship, uh, I believe, uh, a a record that uh, is yet to be beaten. Real quick,
0: Will, do you know where Adrian Newey came from? Uh, what, what, What team he came from? Yes.
2: I... In the back of my mind it's a British prestigious team, but I, I feel like you're gonna give me the answer here, old boy.
0: <laughs> you're right there. You got both of them. He was with Williams from ninety-one to ninety six, and then he was with McLaren from ninety-seven to two thousand and five. That's where they nicked him from. It's hard I was sitting here just getting hype listening to you talk about Adrian Newby, like, let's get in there and get the history. Have you read the book at all, Matt? I have not. I didn't know there was a book. And yes. now I'm I was literally googling while Will was saying that because he has hit so many of my notes and so many points as a secret Red Bull hype man that I love. You know, Adrian Newey's still there, this chief te- chief technical officer. I mean, he's a legend. He is the modern-day – oh, my God, brain fart, boys. He's like the modern-day Colin Chapman. Thank you. That's who I couldn't think of. I just straight up had a stroke. Couldn't think of Colin <laughs> Chapman. <laughs> Matt, I know what I'm getting
1: you for Christmas. To be fair, I am probably bought about – Oh, five of copies of that book so far. Everyone I know who's an F1 fan got it for Christmas last year. Um, but I didn't know you at the time, so...
0: I'll work on my surprise face just for you, Ollie. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank I hope you. I'm getting one too, Ollie. Don't forget about me.
1: Right, Adrian Newey, I need some commission, please.
0: Um. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be buying some serious books. I want volume discounts. Some of my fit, the funny things for me, for Red Bull in the early days... Is uh, you know they came from Jackie Stewart Racing with Ford. They ran a Cosworth engine in 05. Then with the V8 swap in 2006, they had to go to a Ferrari engine. And then they ran with Renault. So in three years, they had three separate engine suppliers. And then they ran with them all the way 2018. Keep in mind, you know, as we talk about later, uh, 2015 was their first bump, if you will, with Renault when they made it Tag Heuer because they didn't want to have Renault's name anywhere on their car. Uh, But also, you know. The success and dominance of my boy Seb, 2010, there are so many records there, which I'm sure we can go into later. I have those stats compiled. Red Bull was the initial wildcard maverick like Haas. We're, t- we're going to take components from everywhere else, throw them together, and start you know pilfering the brilliant minds in the F1 world like Adrian Newey, the greatest drivers, and we're going to build something truly spectacular. And it took them a while to get there, but once they did <sighs> – 2010 to 2014, were just bonkers. I've always seen Red Bull as like the cool
1: team, right? Like the the cool kids on the block. So I I didn't actually realize quite their history until you said it, Will, of of where they've come from and how the team's developed, but they are cool. I drink Red Bull only because, well, not not often, but I only drink Red Bull because of the team. And I think they definitely sell energy drinks, don't they? It's clearly working for them and their whole uh, extreme sports brand.
2: It's a it's an incredibly successful business model. Yes, it it must be said. And what what what's even more um, interesting to me is is what you've just what you've just actually picked up earlier there on Matt, which is how they went they we, they cycled through loads of different engine suppliers, and yet they were still making big progress. And I think that that again has to be down to Adrian Newey, just finding ways to get extra you know extra tens, hundreds of seconds, even from you know certain parts of the car.
3: Yeah, it's got to be said that their their chassis and aero has always been up there, hasn't it? With the with the best of the teams, like their the for example, round Austria and Monaco, they've always done well because it's a a high speed corners circuit. Now, Mercedes over the last couple of years have obviously stepped up their game in the aero department. It's not just all about power anymore. But Red Bull have always been up there. They've always had that edge in the aero department and that's obviously down to adrian newey and what he's done over the years isn't it he, he's probably one of the best engineers on the planet isn't he Let, let's
0: not beat around the bush david Coulthard said it best they have always had a sexy looking car yes you know red bull are this when they were first coming out with the energy drinks they were trying to import it into the states into europe mainland europe and all that they started off in austrian ski lodges you know, this very posh, very refined, elitist almost, uh, mystique about them. And they've exploded into all these other investment realms and side projects they do. But they've, they've kept true to their roots. You start off with Jackie Stewart racing. I defy you to find a cooler starting point than with Sir Jackie Stewart as your first Endeavor and F1. You bring on the sexiest engineer since Colin Chapman and Adrian Newey, the list of drivers they have had, you know, yeah, they've got Christian Cleans, Vintonoto Luizis, Roberto Drombos, but you also have Seb, Mark Webber, David Coulthard, Danny Rick, Max Verstappen. They are the cool brand. Full stop.
1: I've just, I've just quickly Googled this. Someone might be able to put a bit more depth on it, but Red Bull connect with over 500 different extreme sports. So, obviously, we've all heard of um, the air race and the soapbox and cliff diving as well,
0: but the F1 team is is incredible. The thing is, there's so many other endeavors they invest in. They own football clubs like RB Leipzig, the New York Red Bulls, and MLS. They have a sailing team. They have Team Red Bull, which works in NASCAR here in the States. They have FC Red Bull Salzburg. They have Red Bull Brazil, another football club. They do the old V8 supercars from Australia. They have a motorsport rally team, you know, and KTM factory racing. There are so many things these guys invest in that everywhere throughout the world, if it's cool and exciting and dangerous, Red Bull's there. Forgive me, but I don't understand how
1: Red Bull have the money to do this. It it just, how, how do you get from a can of an energy drink to a Formula One team, football clubs—how on earth does that work? Because surely they don't sell that many energy drinks, do they?
2: I th- well, I, th- I think you might be surprised. I th- I I believe it is genuinely volume. Um, I read I read during my research, um, uh, because there are lots of different contesting arguments about how they make their income. Um, and I read uh, several articles that said no, it is literally just energy drinks. That is all that they sell, apart from you know bits and pieces of merchandise as well.
0: I'm going to take a page out of always book. Who wants to guess how many cans of red bull are sold a year?
2: Well, oh, um, I buy quite a few. I, I'm, I'm going to go a cans. A red bull sold wo-
0: worldwide. I do not have the number of countries, but they're sold essentially worldwide. Okay. Right. Um, I would say they sell a billion a year.
1: Not even close. Ooh. Cal, you got a guess? I'm going to go
0: 50 billion a year. Uh, Cowell is uh, overshooting there. Uh, they sell, on average, 7.5 billion cans a year. <laughs> and it's not cheap, is it? No, it's that's what's
2: ridiculous but that is exactly i think maybe you've hit the nail on the heather ollie the fact it isn't cheap that's why they've got the money to invest is because wow. even though their product isn't as premium as 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 it could be let's say it is still comparatively premium to things like um rockstar or monster whose drinks are not marketed in the same sexy kind of really interesting way i mean we were t- you were talking about the teams they own Red Bull, I saw, um, and something I've noticed recently is Red Bull continue to sponsor athletes way past their their careers Mm. in in the sport. Um, One really good example would be a YouTuber that I watch called uh, Jon Olsson, who's a a Swedish skier. He was a really great extreme skier. Now he runs a clothing company and he does loads of stuff that's completely unrelated to Red Bull. And yet, they still sponsor him and he gives them loads of great publicity. So they have got, a, I don't know, whoever is doing their kind of aftermarket market sponsorship programme needs a pay rise because it's ingenious.
1: It, their, their marketing strategy is, is clearly genius. I mean,
2: so do, do they make money out of F1 then? They do. I think, uh, I think it was in... I think it's 2018, this figure is quoted from. So it might not be accurate to the day, but they made a 10.3 million pound profit from F1, which considering how much it costs to run an F1 team is pretty impressive. And also the fact that they're only selling one product.
0: Mm. Do you know what they spent on their F1 team? Just Red Bull Racing in 2018,
2: Will. Oh, now you're testing me, man. Um,
0: All encompassing budget.
2: Let's see, just thinking about how much Mercedes spent this year, which was announced recently. I'm gonna say around about three hundred and fifty million.
3: Nope. Cal, you got a guess on that? I'm gonna guess around the hundred and eighty million
1: mark. Wrong way, brother. I I I believe they spent about three hundred in twenty seventeen. So I'm gonna stick with that.
0: So, the figures I've seen in my research, in 2018, Red Bull spent $550 million (laughs) of their overall budget. Good lord. So, to break that down into, you know, price per can. Here in the States, and that's in dollars, by the way, the $550 million. So, here in the States, a 12-ounce can of Red Bull sells for $2.59. They had to sell 212 million cans to offset their <laughs> F1 budget,
2: that what
0: is unbelievable. This. They spent
2: <laughs> more in a single season than they committed for three seasons when they bought the team in 2000. God, the value of money is just nothing compared to but how many, thing. how Why many,
1: how being in F1, that, that, that market, the marketing of a Red Bull brand, how many, how many cans does that sell in return then?
0: God only knows because, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> the only. Question. Not only are they getting the revenue streams from the sponsorships of Red Bull and Alpha Tauri, they also have like all those sports clubs. I think they own or have investment shares in like five football clubs, multiple other formula racing series. Just, you know, basically they buy everything they can and go, all right, let's put the logo on there and we'll get returns on that. Like it's a money making machine in anything that's quote unquote extreme or edgy Red Bulls there. It's,
2: it's interesting. They also Sorry. Sorry, Sorry go, no, no, go. no. I was going to say they also the the fact that they also own, I believe, quite a lot of these events. Things like um things like the air race, but also I believe they have a part stake in the is it the downhill mountain bike championship? I, I can't remember the technical term, but where people get on bikes and go downhill ridiculously fast. So BMX, having blue
0: tog, all of that. Yeah, you're all of that stuff.
2: Cool. They have having all of that access to the other to the other sponsors that are in 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 partnership in that event who bring in their own clientele. I mean, it's a a vicious circle they've got going on that just feeds into this whole kind of eventually I'm going to end up buying a Red Bull kind of mantra, which is just genius.
1: Um, It it, it is genius. And I I did know that Mercedes, um, in terms of their strategy in F1, so they cost, let's say about the same, 300, 400 million a year. But in terms of the promotion that they get as as a Mercedes group in return is in the billions. Let's see how Red Bull's history sort of shows the number two drivers then, because we, we wanted to get to the, just how Albon fits into all of this Red Bull history. Mm. Um, and
2: really, so they're drivers over the years. Who have we had? So, uh, originally, um, when, uh, when, uh, big DC, uh, was on the scene making waves and being mean, uh, that's not a rhyme and I'm not going to rap about it because that could end up being very interesting. Um, originally they, uh, they partnered him with, uh, with a, with a, a little, a little known driver, uh, called Christian Klein. Now I don't, Actually, know much about oh. uh, Klein? I can't. I don't know if he's gone on to do very much more. I expect he's a pundit somewhere. They all are, to be honest. Um, but uh, he was a decent pairing, but he didn't really. You know, he, he didn't really bring much to the table. And then they had Weber, obviously, um, uh, who famously fell out with uh, his, with Sebastian Vettel. Twenty one, Seb yeah yeah so if just just uh, just on that point if our listeners don't know um in Malaysia in 2013 um we had one of the one of the original examples of team orders um where uh, where where Red Bull radioed in and essentially asked Sebastian to let Mark through because he was faster um and uh, and they thought that their number 2 driver deserved a chance at winning. That's an interesting idea. We haven't seen that much, uh, much uh, in the current season. Anyway, um, and Sebastian didn't yield. Uh, he, uh, he, he, he claimed the win for himself. Um, why this was contentious was that he'd obviously been dominating the whole season. He was going to win anyway. Pretty much everybody was uh, kind of assured of that fact. So it seemed like a mean thing to do. Um, and he didn't help himself by, um, he apologized about this event after the race. And then about, I think it was four or five months later, he said he didn't care. He probably would have done the same and he stood by his decision. So nobody was loving Seb Vettel at that moment. Anyway, Mark Webber eventually decides he's had enough. He retires uh, in 2013. And we have... Uh, we have a young man called Daniel Ricciardo, or Ricciardo, as he likes to be called, um, the sort of fiery Australian who would left his home, flown all the way to Europe. He'd lived in Italy and raced with uh, the Toro Rosso team, uh, or I believe some other teams under different names. I can't remember. Um, so, uh, so uh, Ricciardo has a slightly better time than uh, than Weber, um, but unfortunately, Ollie, I have to concede. I think that's where we start to see the sort of the, the sub-treatment of the number two drivers in Red Bull starts to creep in, unfortunately. Y-
1: yeah, so it wasn't really understood for a while that, well, it was a bit of a surprise that Danny Rick left um, Red Bull, if I'm honest. And one thing I was just thinking about for, for Danny Rick is the commitment to be in a, in F1 for him means that he's barely ever home, actually, because all of the races around the world, um, it, you can't just fly back to Australia every day. So it, it was big, obviously, Red Bull in the UK as well. So, um I understand it as he left purely um, because of his number two treatment, um, and he, he said he pretty much said that on a, on an interview I heard fairly recently as well, actually. So it, it's this is where we start to see it, isn't it? But but why?
3: Yeah, I think Max Verstappen coming into the team, being the prodigy he is, obviously winning his first race in the Red Bull seat in Spain. All of their attention went straight to him. His driving skill is off the charts for his age. His his know-how is is aura as well off the track. Let's let's pay a little bit of attention to that. He is a no filter, doesn't give a crap. I will tell you what I'm saying, what I'm thinking, sort of guy. So if he has a problem, he will say it, and that is great marketing for Red Bull. Do you know what I mean? So when Danny He Rick fixed that rebellious partner, idea. That's it. When Danny Rick was his partner, Danny Rick's the laughy, ha- happy-go-lucky guy. He immediately became second driver once they realised the marketing potential for Max Verstappen, not just his driver potential. So in 2013, the team was as follows. Seb Vettel, Mark Webber. Mark Webber being the number two driver because obviously at this point, Seb is absolutely dominant in everything he touches. In that same season, I believe, or the start of 2014 season, Danny Rick comes in to replace Mark Webber. Danny Rick races for Red Bull alongside Sebastian Vettel until 2015, I believe. Then in 2015, Daniel Kvyat came in alongside Danny Rick. 2016, Max Verstappen replaces Kvyat. Then we see two seasons where Ricardo and Verstappen are on the same team. 2018 Danny Rick leaves and obviously we see the replacement with Gasly.
1: Yeah, so there is a lot of swapping and changing isn't there especially with their sister team. I think that's a really key point to think about.
2: What's really uh, what's a really interesting point which you briefly touched on earlier I think Ollie uh, might be kind of was uh, was was about how um how you know how, how kind of brutal Red Bull are to change. And in the midst of that Ricciardo manages to have two years with Verstappen. Um, and what's really interesting about that fact is that they have endured quite a nice friendship, actually. If you look behind the scenes and you see the videos and you you see their kind of interactions with one another, they're still mates and they're still kind of friendly. So that cements and kind of drives this point home that really the only reason that Ricciardo felt he had to leave was because of the team's treatment. And actually, he seemed to be
0: getting on perfectly well with the Verstappen. Well, even going back to Daniel Ricciardo with Seb, uh, Danny Rick came out this week talking about who he wants to do his helmet swaps with, and he listed said Vettel as the first person he wants to do a swap with. I don't think it's ever come down to really animosity, quote unquote, between the drivers. It's always that drive from helmet Marco and the developmental program pushing up through that's led to these changes. Uh, which right, wrong, or indifferent, he's got the reins. They're trying to be successful, but you know, even with the junior programs, you have guys like Lewisy, Durambos, the American Scott Speed national pride there uh, that don't really fit the mold of what they perceive to be successful for the team there's always been a clear cut number one do whatever we have to do to let our number one guy win at Red Bull because wins me money and the number two seat's always been extremely volatile as to who can fit in with the team the best who plays by the rules and who bows down to the iron fist of Helmut Marco.
1: so they have the, the, the driver that they market and then just the guy who just cracks on is that what we think Cal?
3: I'd say so yeah and obviously when Max Verstappen came in he could do the two so there was no longer a need to be paying Daniel Ricciardo whatever they were paying him they could bring a young guy through like they did with Max Verstappen and hope for the same thing now obviously they haven't found that yet because it's seeming to me that that second seat in Red Bull is cursed right now because no one is able to master it are they Gasly we've seen this season very good driver Alex Albon, I do believe he is a very good driver. I just think the pressure from Helmut Marko coming down on them to perform at such a young age is astronomical. And he is expecting too much, I think I, is the best
1: way to put it. I, I would say that Ricardo was probably the most sort of consistent in the pairings that Red Bull have had. And Danny Rick is quite open that when he called um, Horner to, to resign, Hornets thought he was joking he had absolutely no idea that it was coming and I, I'm not sure any of us really did well it was it was a bit of a shock and whether it's right or wrong that's that, that that's not part of this conversation but it's it just shows that they're not they're not even aware how their drivers are feeling right
2: I, I think you've hit the nail on the head by the way Callum just a minute ago when you when you yeah I totally agree I, I think I think in some ways Red Bull Genuinely don't know what they want. Helmut Marko is expecting massive, a, a massive amount from these young guys, and they were kind of lucky to get it with Sebastian Vettel and win four world championships. And then they, and then they, I don't know, they kind of lost sight of perspective. They can't seriously imagine that this is what this is what all drivers should do because the difficulty with having a number one and number two driver in that in that order is, as we've seen with Kvyat and Gasly, it just doesn't work.
3: Obviously, when they brought in Sebastian Vettel and he did what he did and won four World Championships, Max Verstappen comes through as this next big thing. I think they're seeing it now as, well, this is the formula, isn't it? We, we bring in a young driver who shows a bit of promise, shows good talent. He wins all these races in F2 and F3. That's it, he's going to win F1 World Championships. No, Mr Helmut Marco. that isn't how it works. You need to treat people fairly. You need to nourish them. You need to actually help them reach that potential. Sebastian Vettel and Max Verstappen are... Well, Vettel already is a legend of the sport and Max Verstappen certainly will be, given the car underneath him. And I think it's unfair to expect that from every single driver coming through the academy.
0: I think another thing that's hard for these Red Bull Junior drivers is, you know, there are only 20 seats right now in F1. So anybody that comes up is going to be at the creme de la creme, unless you're Lance Stroll, Esteban Ocon, Latifi, you know, the the budget-friendly drivers. But every one of these guys, for the most part, deserves to be there. They are the lions and among the sheep. They are going to go for that gap. They think they are the best in the world. Every F1 driver, if you ask them, could you beat, quote-unquote, Lewis Hamilton in the same car, they're all going to say Yes. So expecting these guys to come in with that killer mentality and say, now you have to play by our rules. You have to cow down and yield that spot or run mark- blocker for the quote unquote number one driver that not only is that a slap in the face, but I think it's almost an unrealistic expectation in that they're there to win, not hand the victory to somebody else. I believe that um, the the car is tailored
1: specifically, and I mean, the whole setup of it is is designed for Verstappen, and I, I heard uh, uh, someone who works in the industry talking um, well giving their opinion the other day, and it, it is so specific to Verstappen that really no one else can drive it, um, and that seems to be a bit of a theme that we 're seeing here is that the drivers are good until they sit in that car because Max is obviously a very talented driver he has his, his very own uh, unique driving style as well. And the opinion is that this Red Bull is so 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 focused on the the twitchiness um, and the, the the dynamics of Max's steering and things like that.
3: Yeah, I think I think it's unfair that Red Bull are expecting Albon and Gasly to be able to jump in a car tailored to Max Verstappen and let them drive it properly. You see, all the other teams sort of having two two cars of the same but different at the same time, like. Lewis Hamilton's car and Valtteri Bottas's car won't be the same. They will be different in places, and I think it's unfair that Gasly and Albon are expected to not only perform to Max Verstappen's very high standard of driving, they're expected to drive a car that isn't tailored to them. They're 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 in an uphill battle before they've even turned the engine on. Yeah, just one thing I wanted to add is that a few races ago, Albon obviously had a few issues and came. Way down the grid. And George Russell actually spoke out in an interview and defended Alex Albon and said, I don't know what's going on there, but they really need to sort it out. They're making him look like a laughing stock." Don't quote me on that. That wasn't his exact words, but it was something along those lines. Even George Russell in another team is looking at that and saying, this is unfair. They're really He knows his quality. They're really not treating him right for George
0: Russell to come out and say that. Even if we go back to 2013, looking at that, you know, tailoring a car to one driver. In 2013, Sebastian Vettel set two records. Number one, the most wins in a season by one driver, 13. Even in this era of Mercedes dominance, Lewis Hamilton has not won that many in a single season. He also set the record for the most consecutive wins in a row, with I believe it was nine. Meanwhile, Mark Webber is there in 2013, just basically pushing along and being told, do what you can with it. We're not here for you. We are building the car for our number one. That's your lot in life. Deal with it or find somewhere else to drive. And I think that's what led to Mark Webber going, I don't need this anymore. Bye. So there's. it's almost a toxicity, I feel, in the leadership. We all celebrate and love and watch the number one driver at Red Bull dominate and the number two falls by the wayside.
1: So well, our conclusion really is that it is not necessarily Alex Albon's um, fault.
2: I mean, personally, I, th- I personally believe that the decision now has to be made by the fans. Do we decide to keep enjoying Red Bull's rebellious and kind of out there approach which really genuinely does a lot of damage i'm assuming to drivers mental health and to their to their self-confidence when they get left by the wayside or do we start to try and i don't know i don't really don't know how we we go about this because red bull definitely aren't going to change themselves but can we maybe boycott them in some manner of fashion to try and get them to change their ways because ultimately we know that formula one is a business and many teams play it as a business game and they play it very effectively but what I feel Red Bull do is they take it way too far looking for crazy results in a silly amount of time and as a result of that are damaging a lot of young drivers now thankfully they've got Toro Rosso who know how to handle younger drivers as we've seen with Gasly um, but uh, yeah who, who knows who knows what's what they're going to do in the future
1: it's a very good point because we can pretty much say that Albon doesn't has a does not have a seat for next year because of that, and I think that's not right. I, I don't think that's fair. So on the, his replacement, then I think, guys, do we, do we all agree as the Formula Nerds here that um, Albon is not going to be in that seat next year?
3: I hope he is,
0: but I don't think he will be. And Matt, it's, it's crying shame. Ditto. Unfortunately, no. And it's through no fault of Albon's own uh, because he and Gasly both had the same amount of points in the same number of races this year. I think it's lending itself to the leadership style and managerial decisions at Red Bull, not necessarily the on-track success.
1: Uh, this is going to go down to essentially Perez, from what I understand, So, um, and money. So Perez has two, he's, as far as I can tell, um, going through loads and loads and loads of different inside sources He has a decision at the moment between Williams and Red Bull. Um, Now, Williams need him for the money. They desperately need him for the money. Um, Red Bull, maybe not so much. So if Perez was to go to Williams, would that mean um, Hulkenberg to Red Bull? Who knows, but I've had it from two different sources. One's convinced he's going to Williams. One is um, actually a journalist that travels with F1. On their circus and is um, very, very, very sure that he's going to Red Bull. So there's, there's different. I don't think there's a, there's a, there's a defined. I, I, I reckon he's had both offers and he's deciding. That's my, my best guess.
3: Who knows? Who knows anymore? It's like the Danny Rick situation. Even Horner didn't know who he was going. So I don't even think Red Bull know themselves
1: what's going on at the moment. Okay, uh, let's finish with the news today then. So um, we've got a new race next year. What do we, what do we think of that, guys? Where is it? It's in Jeddah, in Saudi Arabia. And we races one, um, Matt.
0: Yeah, uh, just going off of you know F one being a business, you know, I applaud F one for the we races one initiative. However, to go to Saudi Arabia while pushing that political agenda, uh, you know. They torture people in Saudi Arabia. Execution's on the rise. They have no free streets. They're severely censored. They're not allowed to protest. There's discrimination against women. You you can be detained and arrested for no good reason at all. Religious discrimination is abundant in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I think that's a poor choice at best for F1 to go to Saudi Arabia. Uh,
1: And is that purely financial?
0: Absolutely.
2: Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm afraid I, I have to agree with you entirely, Matt, on that. It's, uh, it's really annoying when you see fans saying, let's keep politics out of sport. But actually, politics plays a part in every single part of life. It doesn't matter whether you want it to or not. And so to see them go to a country um, famed for human rights abuses as well, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sadly not surprised uh, because F1, as we know, are not, are not too virtuous, but it is a shame.
0: I liken it to The Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to the world human rights violations behind the curtain. That's what's going on by going to Saudi Arabia with this initiative in place.
1: Maybe they should take some marketing tips from Red Bull. Um, Okay, so that's a new track. The other new tracks that we have, obviously, are Hanoi, Zandervoort, Jeddah, which is the one we've just spoken about. And it is currently unconfirmed whether we will be in Interlagos or Rio, purely because they don't know if they've built the track. We'll build the track in time. Cal?
3: If they get rid of Interlagos, I know I know they're building a new track in Rio, and I believe it's going to be a street circuit as well. From the consensus I get in our group, that is not a good move. Like no. no. Interlagos is such an iconic track. It's personally one of my favourite tracks. And I think moving to a street circuit, it's not going to be good news. Hanoi is a street circuit, come proper circuit. Um We've got Azerbaijan, Monaco. Azerbaijan is probably the only street circuit I actually look forward to. So base it on that, I don't think this is a good move for Formula
1: One. No, it's terrible. And again, it's it's purely financial, I believe. Um, Interlagos is one of the it has had some of the greatest races of all time held there. It's it's just a disaster.
0: Well also in the same breath that we're talking about, save the rainforest and reducing F1's carbon footprint, we're gonna save the rainforest and then we're going to go cut down a couple square miles of to provide facilities and a track there.
2: Uh, what what's so disappointing for, uh, for I think many fans is that um th- they they can't do anything. Um the Brazilian government is so corrupt and is so badly led and so money money hungry they're not going to have any qualms with letting F1 go and chop down a, a huge portion of the forest and I just I can't I really I fail to see how on earth they think this is going to do the sport any good in a time when climate change is so important and such a talking point and and, and a marketing point and more than anything. Hell, I mean, even just look at the money for heaven's sake. It's a great, you know, it's a great strategy to follow, and they decide, nah, we're just going to stay in our old ways. You know, I think that tradition's brilliant, but sometimes you need to accept what's going on in the world, and if you can't, then you're going to lose yourself potentially quite a lot of fan base, a large portion of the fan base.
1: So that's two bad mistakes that F1 have made.
0: And, you know, speaking of you know, the new tracks and trying to build everything, Total Wolf came out this week saying, and I quote, that you know, he wants some of the more soulful old-school tracks like Imola and Bahrain. Uh, he likened some of the new tracks to oversized supermarket parking lots, whereas tracks like Imola and Mugello really force the driver to be more exacting uh, by having you know the gravel runoff traps. You can't go off the track and then come back in with no wing damage and no negative effect on your car. So I'm very curious to see how that will be implemented to track redesigns or new track designs going forward because I think he's right. We've loved seeing the racing at and Mugello and it's an uncertainty. It really is not tracks designed for the current F1 cars. They have to be more precise in their analytics and it really draws that line between bravery and efficiency. Uh, I think Total Wolf is onto something there and that's something I didn't think I would ever hear myself say. I agree, Will.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I would have to, I would have to agree, and I, 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 think we can potentially be quite hopeful about him expressing this opinion because I, you know, not only has he done great things, and the F1 community respects him, and the F1 management, more importantly, respects him because of his wins and his success, but he's also, as we know, very, very heavily invested in F1 teams. He, he owns a large stake of Aston Martin. So if they are going to choose to listen to anybody, don't worry about me, some silly little fan, but for God's sake, listen to Toto.
1: Well, they, they haven't, have they, uh, based on next year's proposed or rumoured calendar.
0: Um, Cal? F1 doesn't care about the normal bloke. Cal? <laughs> All I wanted to add to that is that
3: I agree with Toto. And what you've got to think is, on a circuit like Paul Ricard, the grey area between safety and bravery disappears. That there, There's no point in even talking about bravery around Paul Ricard, is there? If you go to Azerbaijan or Bahrain or Silverstone you have to be brave to get the fastest lap time around those circuits it's as simple as that and I think removing the bravery element from a driver in their car means they're not going to go as fast that means the racing's not as good the whole sport is ruined by that sort of circuit
1: that's it that is absolutely it Paul Ricard we all know is one of the worst tracks that's ever been in F1 um it's just a tarmac square with lines on it um but, you know, Azerbaijan, the races that we've seen, they're old-school tracks. You can't make one mistake, and that's where you see survival of the fittest. That's where you see, you know, Albon would have been nearly okay if he'd spun at um, Paul Ricard last week. Um, you know, some of the drivers would have been forgiven, you know. So would, um, uh, what's his name, uh, George
0: Russell. Matt? Well, also, in keeping with, you know, F1 being a business, To me, it makes more sense to, quote-unquote, retrofit the old tracks and make them safer, do small redesigns. Silverstone's on what? It's third design iteration. Hockenheim's been through countless. So how does it make more sense to cut down pristine natural rainforest to make a new track when there's already an existing track that can be modified? And plus, it loses the sense of legacy and histrionics with these old tracks, keeping in touch with the roots, where F1 has come from, by going to these new, unexplored, super safe, dare I say boring tracks the answer is right there make the old tracks better for racing and for safety it's it's a it's a win win for fans and drivers alike
1: have we seen i, I certainly haven't seen the um the, the track yet for Saudi Arabia is it any good has anyone have you guys had a look at i it?
2: I had a quick I had a quick google of it while you guys were talking about it it looks okay but it's nothing special. I mean, you know, c- compare it to someone like Monza. I mean, I know it's not directly comparable, but for heaven's sake, why not? It's just it's just not on the same league. It's kind of, you know, they've thrown some corners in and it's, a, I don't know, just didn't excite me. Okay, cool.
3: It'll be another Abu Dhabi. It'll be all mm. lights and fireworks and show and the track itself won't be that great. I yeah, think I'd, that's how that'll end up. And I we hope. already
2: have that in Singapore. We already have the big explosions and the big pageantry. Do we really need it again? I mean, I love it, but
0: it's Singapore's a, a so good old. track.
1: Singapore's a good track. Abu Dhabi, not so much. And now I'm
0: worried about Saudi Arabia too. Well, that, when you have tracks like Zanvor, you know, the redesign in I think will be absolutely incredible. I want yeah. the show to be on the track with the cars. I don't care about oh, yeah. a night race with fireworks yeah. and you know shakira singing the national anthem or something like that show me close <laughs> racing and overtakes that's my show
2: yeah i'm excited for zanvort boys by the way can i just say if we ever make enough money to go over there as a group we have to because that track looks nasty it looks great it's, 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 you know
3: zanvort on the game is epic and usually on the game they're pretty good at getting the you know the layout of the track and mm-hmm. and, and the feel of the track as well Like it's usually pretty good so Zandvoort will be a very good race next season, I can guarantee you that. It,
1: it, is, it is though, you know, I've been to Silverstone, I've been to Spa. They're not glamorous. Um, F1 is meant to be a glamorous sport, isn't it? And it's meant to sell and sponsors and, you know, I wouldn't put... Uh, Rolex, Mr. Rolex wouldn't walk around Silverstone in the mud that I have, put it that way. Um, so it's, I think this is why we're seeing these, <laughs> these types of um, races getting more and more prominent into F1, which I, I just need to say I hate because it's all about those old-school tracks. Couldn't agree In more. the
0: end, there's nothing glamorous about a four-wheeled conga line around Sochi. That's how I look at it. Yeah, but they pay a lot. <laughs> Valid.
1: Okay. Um, we've also got a change to, to sort of the race weekends next year. So this is an amazing announcement that all W Series races will be supporting F1. So we're going to see the women's only um, – single-seater race series, which is fantastic. And it's a shame we don't have Emma on, um, Emma, Emma on this podcast. What, what do we think about that, guys? I think about it's absolutely incredible.
3: To. And it is, like Will just said, about time. Um, the racing, I have not seen much of, but I can tell you now, you wouldn't tell the difference between men and women. They are absolutely incredible, and they deserve so uh, limelight in the sport than they are given right now. So I'm so glad that they are going to be...
1: And and they're getting it. This is this is their time now. And I've got something that even you guys don't know. We have got some special guests lined up for this show. And um, I'm not going to tell you who they are, but they're very closely related to what we've just spoken about. All oh, excited. Um, the other change is
0: sorry, go, on Matt. I think that's the ultimate demonstration of we races one. It's not limited to just ethnicities. You know, women can drive. Period. Full stop. I know there are women across the world that would absolutely smoke me in racing simulators, racing knowledge. It's, this is, it's time. We don't need to be in this old, archaic, chauvinistic motorsport anymore. If you're a driver, you're a driver. I do not care what is underneath your overalls. Bring it on. I love that. Let's get some women into F1. Let's finally make it us as a whole, as the racing world coming together and celebrating the best of the best. Regardless, this and this is exactly exactly why we're we're actually planning
1: a um a special feature um podcast. But these are the questions that I want to ask. I want to ask, what are the challenges? You know, how do we overcome them? Why are they there? Um, and how are we going to break these barriers down? Because everything you've just said is absolutely correct. Um, if we also just just touch on the fact that F three and F two are not going to be racing on the, the same race race weekends anymore, is that have I got that right?
2: Yeah, that sounds initially like a disappointment in some in some ways because as we know f3 and f2 have been the testing ground the proving ground for young talent to follow the big boys around you know drive the same tracks and kind of get that sense of excitement but personally i think if you're in f2 especially you know even and you know if you've made it to f3 it's still impressive um you're going to be if you've got that driving determination you know, you probably won't miss having it on the exact same weekend as the F1 guys. It might, you know, it might make communication between potential drivers and, and agents and teams a bit harder, but that's nothing they can't overcome. And I think the benefits for having women finally race, you know, finally starting to be pushed up to to, to a more equal platform, I think that far, far outweighs anything else.
1: I'm not actually sure if it's a case of... Um the W series is replacing one of them. I'm actually just a, Cal told me about this topic just before we started, but it looks like oh, okay. it's down to cost cutting.
0: It is because the infrastructure of moving the F2 and F3 series teams around through all the you know globe trotting that F1 does, it makes sense to allow them to cut, cut cost measures. And we not a lot of people watch the F2 and F3 races, and unfortunately, not a lot watch the W series. Uh, it also adds a varietal spice to the weekends as well in that you don't know who you're going to get to watch, you know, with the W series as well. uh, Good on them. You know, Jessica Hawkins and Emma Kimmelainen are two of my favorites for multiple reasons. Uh, I would love to see more integration of the W series. Instead of it being a standalone, roll them into F2 and F3 because they are some bad ass women out there that need recognition as drivers, not just as women drivers as drivers with F2 and F3. I see in the future a restructuring to get rid of the W series and fully integrate that and make it more of what they're trying to achieve.
1: Um, So yeah, F2 is going to be doing, um, uh, they're going to change their race weekends to three races per weekend, um, eight rounds and essentially formula two and formula three will be separate. Um, So they'll they'll alternate. I completely
0: got Sophia Flores just signed for F3 this year as a full-time driver for them. I, I apologize to her. She is a pioneer and a, (laughs) <laughs> Just an awesome little racer coming through some really big adversity with that crash she had in 2018, was it, Jets? I personally can't remember. Was that her that had that, re- that wreck? I'm not sure. Make I think, think it was already. who
3: had the wreck, but also a quick mention on her, she was part of the Le Mans team yes. this year as well. And they absolutely smashed it. They did so well.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yes, 2018 Macau was where her wreck was. In other
1: news, we F1 announced a quarter 3 loss of $104 million. Ouch. Does that hurt their bank account? No. Come on, you must be joking. No, I think that's that a pretty big hit. Surely, surely. It's not, it's not great, is it? That's all the ticket sales that they're missing out on.
0: That's it. They're still getting their money for the broadcasting rights. They're still getting merchandise sales. They're still getting royalties, all of that. Uh, it's maybe a little bit less of a bonus this year for the big wigs at the top.
1: Um Sonoda had a seat fitting and a test this week. Does anyone know how that went i've I've not followed up on that
3: uh, you know I've obviously not seen it or anything like that, but I believe he did do quite well. I think they were very very impressed with him
1: and do we have any other updates on the driver lineup at all? I don't think there's been any movement this week, has there? No nope, not this week, no nope, getting three shaking heads, okay. So next week, we are going back to Turkey, which I think has had a resurface.
3: It has. It's had a resurface. And to be honest with you, judging by what we saw in Portugal, where their track was resurfaced, we're going to see a lot of issues with tyre and tyre temperatures. It could affect the race in a big way. So let's hope for a dodgy track and a dodgy surface, because
2: that made the race so good in Portugal. Could we see a Silverstone 2.0? That's the question.
0: Absolutely. You know, with these older surfaces, they get worn down over time by taking down levels of asphalt to make it more even. So now you have more peaks and ridges in the tires, and it's going to have higher tire carcass deck. Uh, It could be, excuse me, surface deck. It could be very, very spicy. Well,
1: were not we sprinkling some spice onto um, Giovinazzi last week, Matt?
0: <laughs> possibly, possibly. When I uh, listen back
1: to the show, that did make me laugh very much because Cal started <laughs> the spice off at the beginning of the show, and then the spice went all the way through the entire show, um,
2: like a good burrito. Oh, I'm so hungry.
1: <laughs> so we're back to practice. One, two, three. Qualifying race weekend, and the best thing about the Turkish Grand Prix is it doesn't have a silly name. So it is just called the Turkish Grand Prix. So hashtag easy. Hallelujah. <laughs> I know, the Emilia Romana, Romana GP
3: was just ridiculous, wasn't it?
1: Uh, do you know, we went through the whole last episode without saying that once, because I just refer to it as the Emola GP, as I did on yeah,
3: the... Yeah, I, I only just learned how to say it today, I'll be honest, so that, that's why we didn't talk about it last week.
0: I, I applaud us for not using San Marino. I don't believe in the podcast. You know, I saw a meme about Emilia, Emilia, Romana, Romana, Emilia Romana, San Marino, like that's what it's always been, in these new nomenclatures and... You know, uh, sponsorship names so hard to keep up with and get it right, so we don't get in trouble with FOM again.
1: Yeah, what, what, what? I, th- I think they had to call it that because it couldn't be the Spanish Grand Prix, could it? So, it's it wouldn't be the Spanish Grand
3: Prix, it's been, not it? at all. It was in Italy.
0: <laughs> that would be <laughs> oh, a horrendous mistake to call the Spanish Grand Prix. <laughs> we're not the geography nerds. <laughs> wow!
1: Oh, we're on fire today. <laughs> you could, you could tell what I was looking at on my computer screen.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: it Obviously, there's been three Italian Grand Prix, which, um, yeah, so you can't call it the Spanish Grand Prix, but there's only one in Turkey. This is an amazing track. I can't wait. Was this the track where Vettel and, was it Weber collided? Um, The the famous crash with Vettel hitting his teammate. I think it was this one. Come on. My my research doesn't go that far. Maybe I've got it so wrong that that's why you don't know what I'm talking about that's right we'll get, our, we'll get our
2: supporters in the comments to let us know that yes can be it was Turkey it was
0: Turkey oh alright 2010 yeah that's yeah, if you haven't we edit that, that to make me sound like a brilliant man
1: you are a brilliant man not just um, a
0: fast Googler
1: <laughs> I Googled it as well I thought oh no I've made something up but I haven't. Okay, well, that's it for um, this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, don't forget to go and buy your Christmas jumpers and new T-shirt designs on our Formula Nerds shop. Um, Get that much! <laughs> thank you, Will. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, we, we have um, an exclusive collection coming from Callum. Um, like, oh, yeah. That's a celebrity... St- you know, it's not David Beckham anymore. It's Callum. Um, uh, you, you just
3: wait. I'll, I'll have my own line soon with Tommy Hilfiger. Me and me and Lewis will be on the catwalk together. Right Galvin
2: on. Klein by Callum. It's Callum Klein.
1: <laughs> Make sure you do head over to the Facebook because that's where all of the action happens. Facebook.com forward slash Formula Nerds. Um, we've obviously got our website and loads of great articles going on there written by Emma. There's just so much happening. Videos by Will
2: podcasts what am i forgetting there's there is more than that our twitter um youtube yes our instagram page as well full of spicy content
1: just just sprinkle over some spice all over your laptop and get to all of them
0: very quickly don't forget uh we are partnering with formula model shop in brackley on december the 18th with an event with karoon chandot you meet the nerds but more importantly meet karoon and try and see if you can beat him on a simulator i just gooed will's brain do you see the look on his face did Sorry, you? nobody's told me about this. Exactly. Surprise. This is for the listeners that stay all the way to the end. What? Yeah.
1: yeah, so me and Callum are going to meet Karun.
3: I'm going to beat him on the simulator. You wait. I'm going to practice what? day I've, in, got, fi- day I've out. got
0: five on that. I've got a fiver on that, Cal.
3: I'm going to beat him, and then I'm going to drop the mic or whatever. Well, I'll drop the steering wheel because there will be no microphone, but I'll Trump. drop the
0: steering wheel right in front of him. He's going I, to beat I, us I, just after our Twitter little roasting of mr Chandler last week
1: yeah yeah sorry will can you just verbalize what you're doing right now
2: i'm struggling to form sentences or even <laughs> any meaningful words what the what the fangio is going on this is insane
1: <laughs> if you stayed up to date on our group chat Will, you i you do would have... <laughs> we've not hidden <laughs> it. up to date <laughs> we did tell everyone this was about two, four weeks ago this wasn't it matt
0: it was. So very, very quickly, uh, the awesome people over at the Formula Model Shop in the Barn Brackley are doing a meet and greet with Karun Chandok They have an F1 motion simulator, and they have the one and only Karun Chandok coming out to set out lap times, sign autographs, take pictures, all that barring the lockdown being lifted for you guys over there. Uh, it's going to be an amazing event. It's going to be absolutely worth the drive. Their merchandise and their models are second to none, but most importantly, it's flipping Karun chandok I yes. mean... Yes. And
3: the Formula Nerd. you got you're get to meet nerds. me and
0: Ollie.
1: God, so, what,
3: I think that's better Callum. than Karun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Subject to Boris Johnson, we will be out of lockdown, so this event will go ahead. But Callum's going to have to sit in the back seat while I chauffeur him to Brackley, to, uh, to the Silverstone area, from Manchester. So that's going to be... Backseat. Oh, be the no!
2: Trunk?
0: Wouldn't that be the oh. trunk with a mask on?
2: <laughs> no, that's Oh, kidding. no. Callum's going to have to be chauffeured to Brackley to meet an F1 driver. How are you guys doing this?
0: You are so selfless. It's, it's just incredible. Cal's going to be in the trunk, mm. like, twice around the block. I want to see how the peasants live. <laughs> Well, Will, what are you doing on the 18th of December?
2: Uh, well, at the moment, not very much, although it sounds like a trip to Brackley might be in order.
1: Well, if you bring your camera and stay well away from me, then um, we'll, we'll discuss <laughs> that. Because um, I can't film myself. Uh, and anyone who, who films himself on selfie sticks looks like an idiot. Oh, so um, Preach it, brother.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, we, need, we need that video guy. We, we need, need that normal bloke.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, you've just, subject to coronavirus limitations, um, put it in your diary.
0: Okay. Basically,
1: get your merch, get it signed by Karun. Win-win. And if we get, and and let's give it away on the show, Matt, shall we? So, um, these guys have hooked us up with meeting Karun. If we can get him to sign it, we'll we'll chuck it at him so we don't need to get too close. Um, And (laughs) we will give it away exclusively in partnership with the model shop on this show. How about that?
0: I'm down for that. I'm sure they will be as well. Oh, I'm and
2: sure our fans are going to go nuts for that. That's amazing.
1: I'm going to have to get two now because I wanted one. So I right,
0: want one, one as well, so that's three. <laughs>
1: okay, right. We are going to end it there. Um, we'll be back next week with the Turkish GP review. Um, your news updates and all of that spicy stuff. Um, from me, Ollie. thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for listening. Obviously, like we've said
3: three or four times now, We have designed more merchandise, which will be going onto the store. So as soon as that is live, please get yourselves over there and bear us in mind when you're filling those Christmas
1: stockings. For sure. There's a lot of good, good, good stuff there for kids as well.
0: Um, Matt? Once again, thank you to everybody for listening. Make sure to drop us a like and drop us a line if you have anything you want to see come out in the merch, and I may know a guy that can make that happen for you. And
2: will yeah thanks so much for listening everybody it's been a really great week even though we haven't had any racing who'd have thunk it brilliant brilliant stuff and uh do remember to head over to our youtube channel if you'd like to uh if you'd like to have a gander at any other f1 based videos in your free time during lockdown when you're bored
1: Brilliant. And last of all, join the Facebook Cut to the Race podcast group and just talk with us as humans. You're not going to be talking to the Formula Nerds. You actually talk to us. We are actually, we do exist. We don't just hide behind that little nerdy um, who sits in the car on our logo. Okay. So thank you very much. And we will see you next week.
2: Sports
3: Social Podcast Network.